into Hebrews. I thought we'd stick with the H theme. That's why, no, that's not why I picked it. Uh, You'll notice something different as we begin in Hebrews. Uh, We were going chapter by chapter, it seemed like, in Hosea. And if you'll notice here, we're in Hebrews chapter 1. We're looking at two verses today. Uh, We'll probably slowly, much more slowly go through uh, the book of Hebrews. Uh, But we come here this morning to the book of Hebrews, and we're just going to look at the first two verses of chapter 1. This is the word of the Lord. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. There is a lot of pressure exerted on us each and every day. We have pressure uh, at work, we have deadlines, we have expectations, we have bosses who want us to do things a certain way and so on and so forth. We have pressure at home, we have bills to pay, we have mouths to feed, we have uh, people to clothe, to provide for needs. We have pressure in relationships to meet the needs of those who love us and who we love both physical and at times emotional, we have the pressure of the world saying, value the things that I value, believe what I believe, claim the truth or the lack of truth that I claim. This is a pressure that not only extends to us individually, it extends to all those in the church and into churches. The world comes to us and they call us, they encourage us to abandon our belief. And they may, their narrative, the way they talk might go something like this. Surely you still don't believe that Bible. Surely you can look at science and you can look at reason and know that it is foolishness to continue to believe in that archaic book. How can you stand there and claim that you know better than me? How can you stand there and claim that this Bible can tell me that I'm wrong? You're being intolerant. You're being mean. And the pressure is to abandon our beliefs. And if we're honest with ourselves, there are times where we might look at it and go, it would be easier to abandon our beliefs. I wouldn't continue to struggle with how I live. I wouldn't have to deal with the ridicule of the world. I can live a life doing what I want to do, how I want to do it, with no real sense of guilt. And it's with this mindset that we come to the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrew looks at the the, the persecution of the world. It it looks at the, the call to abandon your beliefs. And it says, Jesus is better. In fact, if you were going to put a summation on the whole 
book of Hebrew, it could simply be those two words, or three words, Jesus is better. And you might ask the question, well, better than what? And the answer is everything. Everything. Jesus is better than everything. It's all about him, about his sufficient work, about the necessity of having faith in him that we're to be saved. So as we come to our text this morning, I want us to see three things. First, we're going to look at the background of Hebrew, in essence, the who, what, when, where, why, how. Second, we're going to look at the author of Hebrew. And third, we're going to look at the hope of Hebrews. Let's begin by looking at the background of Hebrews. And we begin by asking the question, well, who wrote the book of Hebrews? And the short answer is, well, I don't know. The long answer is this. Much discussion has been made over this topic. And there are several different lines of thinking. Some will say, well, this was written by the apostle Paul. And there's some merit to that. They'll argue well, in thir- chapter 13, he talks about Timothy. Paul and Timothy were all but inseparable. They'll look at the themes of suffering uh, or having joy amidst suffering, which is very Pauline. And they'll argue it either had to be written by Paul or someone really close to Paul. But then there are those who say, well, I don't think so. And they'll say, in every letter, in every other letter, I should say, that Paul writes, he clearly states who is writing the letter. He clearly defends his apostleship in every other letter. In fact, if you were to study the Greek, even the style of Greek is different. Paul, very, in every other instance, let's say if he did write this, this would be an oddity for him. In every other writing of Paul, he uses what we would call a common style of Greek. Whereas uh, Hebrew was written in a very high style, a very uh, polished style, very educated style. It'd be uh, the difference between a Pulitzer Prize writer, Pulitzer's ever, yeah, and someone who's writing in the funny strips. Not the funny strips, but you understand a, a more common way uh, to appeal to the masses. And that there's a difference here stylistically between Hebrew and the rest of the letters of Paul. In chapter 2, we also see that the writer says, This message was attested to us by those who heard that they received the message from those who heard it from Jesus. And Paul never talks about himself that way. He always says, I received my word not from men, but from Jesus himself. So there's some arguments against Paul. Some argue that maybe it was Barnabas or Apollos. Barnabas, who was a very close associate with Paul. He was a Levite, would certainly have had knowledge of the temple, which we see a lot of that language here. Uh, There's a lot of exhortation in Hebrews. Barnabas' name means son of exhortation or son of encouragement, but it's the same thing. So maybe it was Barnabas. Others say, well, it might be Apollos. Acts 18 says that Apollos was an eloquent man, competent in scripture, so it would qualify him to write such an extraordinary epistle. The early church father, Origen, says this, who wrote the epistle is known to God alone. (laughs) It did not please God or did not please the Holy Spirit to let us know the identity. So we must be content or content ourselves with knowing that the letter is the word of God. And so you'll oftentimes, as we go through the book of Hebrews, you'll say, I'll say the writer of the letter. Very gen- I won't give a, I'll probably slip up at times and say Paul because it's so used to saying Paul, but we don't know exactly the writer. Well, who was the letter of the Hebrews written to? 
What we can say with certainty is that it's written to Jewish Christians, to the Hebrews. Those who were tempted to give up their Christianity and return to Judaism. Were these Jews in Palestine or were they in Rome? It seems unlikely that they're in Palestine just because of the language of Hebrews. As it talks about, you have not yet suffered into shedding of blood. That's not true of the Jews in Palestine. They had suffered at this point to the shedding of blood. Probably more likely, it's the, Rome is the source of where it's being sent. It fits the persecution that had happened at this time. There's also a greeting from those the church in Italy. It makes sense if Rome is the audience. So why? What is the purpose of the writing of the book of Hebrews? Well, it's a letter of warning. Don't fall back to Judaism. Don't return to something that is now empty in the face of trials. It's an exhortation. It's an encouragement to grow and be mature in in the faith. So it's an exhortation to maturity and the means by which they are exhorted to maturity, encouraged to maturity, is by showing the supremacy of Christ over everything. We're going to see as we continue through the book of Hebrews that Jesus is better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the prophets. He's better than Aaron and the whole Levitical priesthood. He's better than the sacrifices. He's better than the tabernacle. He's better than the temple. Maybe we could go to chapter 10, verse 23, to see the purpose statement of Hebrews. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. It's about the supremacy and the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. John Calvin summarizes it by saying it this way. Since the epistle addressed to the Hebrews contains a full discussion of the eternal divinity of Christ, his supreme government and only priesthood, which are the main points of heavenly wisdom, And as these things are so explained in it that the whole power and work of Christ are set forth in the most graphic way, it rightly deserves to have a place of honor of an invaluable treasure in the church. So that's kind of the how, what, when, where, why of the book of Hebrews. And let me encourage you in this. That's why it was maybe written in its context. But the message is no less true for us today. You church of Jesus Christ, you the body of Jesus Christ, you who may be tempted to leave and abandon your faith because the world is persecuting you, hold fast. When the pressure of family comes on you, when the pressure of the world comes on you, when the pressure of friends come on you, When you may be tempted to move away from him, know that what the world offers is empty. Know that Christ is supreme. He is better than all things. There is nothing greater than him. And if that is true, if he is better than all things, then the whole of your life is to be focused on him and him alone. So let's move on to our second point, the author of Hebrews. And you might be going, Daniel, we just talked about the author of Hebrews. You said you didn't know 
who it is. Well, that's not exactly true. As we look at verse 1, we see long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke. One of the things you'll notice is that the writer of the book of Hebrews repeatedly, many, many times, quotes from the Old Testament. Do you know who he always credits as speaking when he quotes the Old Testament? God. God spoke. It is maybe one of the most single important statements that can be made when we live in this relativistic age where there is no truth, truth can be not, cannot be known. There is no absolute truth. There is no absolute morality. There is no absolute right and wrong. We've lost truth. And when you lose truth, you lose hope. If you cannot know with certainty that anything is true, that is a very debilitating state, isn't it? If you're to go out in, into this world and not know there is a right and there is a wrong, that is terrifying. We lose hope. We don't know anything for sure. And if we can't know anything for sure, there's also no way in which we can know that anything is sure. God is beyond our senses. So if there is a God, and if he is to be known, what must happen? He must speak. He must speak to us if we are to know anything about him. God spoke. He has spoken. This is the universal message of the Bible about itself. 2 Peter 1.21 For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It is not the human author who spoke, but it is God who spoke. And there are several important implications for this. First, if God speaks in the Bible, then the Bible carries authority. In fact, it carries divine authority. When you approach the Bible, you know that it's true because it is his word. Well, what does this mean? That means that you can set apart no you can set aside no part of it. We can't go into the Bible and say, I like this teaching, I'm good with that. I don't like this teaching. I'm going to put that aside. We can't do that. If God spoke, if God has revealed himself to us, then we cannot do that. We cannot conform the Bible to meet the world's standards. Second, if God spoke, is it not only carry divine authority, but is enduringly relevant? If God does not change, then his word does not change. That means that the Christian standard for conduct remains the same. The Christian standard of truth and morality remains the same because we see Jesus is the same yesterday. He's the same today. He's the same forever. Since God has spoken in the Bible, thirdly, even though he did so in diverse ways, 
You know that there's 66 books in the Bible written probably over 1,300 years, over 40 different people. And yet because it is God who is the speaker, the author, and and the, the writer of the book of Hebrews is not trying to take anything away from the human authors. They were inspired by the Holy Spirit, and we, yes, we know their personalities are there. Yes, we know that they, their words are there. But ultimately, this book written over 1,300 years through over 40 people, 66 books, has one unified message. That message is Christ is better. <laughs> Christ is better than all things. He is supreme over all things. And it means we need all of scripture. That's why it's good for us to go from Hosea to Hebrews. From the Old Testament to the New because we need all of it. It's the reason as you'll go through the book of Hebrews, if you, if you study on your own, certainly as we studied here, you'll notice repeatedly the Old Testament or the, the writer of Hebrews is referring to the Old Testament. Because it's all the word of God. The fact that as we consider the author of of the book of Hebrews, that it's God who has spoken should be a great encouragement to us. It means that the whole of the Bible, all of it, is for you. It's God speaking to you. It tells us about the character of God, about what we need to know concerning a God. It, It tells us what God requires of us. In the Bible, we see the wondrous plan of redemption that's been unfolding throughout all of history. This plan that has its ultimate fulfillment in Christ. We can approach the Bible then with confidence, knowing that it is God who speaks. Yes, different authors. Yes, over different times. But it is a unified message. It is relevant today. We cannot dismiss Parts of it at our whim. We either receive all of it or we receive none of it. So we've seen the purpose of Hebrews. We've seen the author of Hebrews. But now we see the hope of Hebrews. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. The writer is acknowledging the fact that, yes, God has spoken in many different ways throughout the history of the world, but now something different has happened. Because now God is speaking to us through his own son. And there's a few qualifiers for who that son is. The one whom he has appointed heir of all things. That's part of it. But also through whom he created the world. It reminds us, doesn't it, of 1 John. Or I should say not 1 John, but John 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It is through, at this point I'm paraphrasing, I'm not remembering exact words. Uh, It was through that word that the whole of the earth was created. All things were created. This is the same thing he's saying here. The one whom he has sent is both the heir of all things, and he is the one through whom all things were created. God, yes, spoke through in the Old Testament through prophets, but the final and definitive revelation is in and through his son, 
Jesus Christ. And we see some words of contrast here. It starts long ago, at many times and in many ways. And we now see that contrasted with in the last days. So we have long ago, but now we have in the last days. And we have contrast to our fathers, but now to us. There's this contrasting of this is how it was, and this was good, but this is how it is now, and it is better. It is best. Christ is supreme even over the Old Testament. He is greater than the prophets. He is the fulfillment of all that was prophesied about. He is that, as we have just come out of the season of Christmas, that long-expected Savior. In the Old Testament, we see prophets. In the New Testament, we see his son. And and don't misunderstand me. It's not that there was something inherently deficient in the Old Testament prophets. The things they spoke were good. They were right. But they cannot compare to the very son of God come to earth. Jesus is the truth. Christ is the one who reigns through the whole of the God's word. Because in Christ, God has fully and ultimately revealed himself. This makes the denial of truth, the denial of the ability to know truth by the unbelieving world, a devastating thing for them. Because when you read God's message, when you see the Son, Jesus Christ, you stand before truth. If you reject him, you consign yourself to darkness, both blindness now and eternal darkness when he comes again. But if you look to Jesus Christ, if you believe in the very truth of God seen through him, then God's redemptive work of the ages will be fulfilled in you. This is what Jesus said to his apostles, his disciples, as they are struggling this. He said, what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So it's not only that God has spoken, which is awesome, but it's also that God has spoken to us through his son which is awesomer. If you, that's a false dichotomy, but you get what I'm saying. He is the culmination of all that has been going on in the Bible. His purpose then was to bring us our final salvation. Here's something that I find to be crazy and, and try, if you will, for a moment uh, to wrap your mind around it because we can be tempted, I think, to look back at Moses and go, wow, Moses, man, that was, that, that was awesome, right? Moses must have been an awesome guy. He stood in the presence of God in the burning bush. He, uh, he entertained him. Wow, Moses. And you look at it and go, Moses? And all the prophets never got to see Christ. Not the way we get to see Christ, do they? We get to see Christ in a way that they only long to see. We get him now. And I think that's amazing that Moses himself did not have the full picture of redemption and we have it. 
We must live in faith, looking to Christ, who is supreme over all things, greater than all that came before him in Scripture, certainly greater than this world and all its supposed delights. And from here on out, we're going to go through the book of Hebrews, and that's what we're going to do. Are you tempted to fall away from faith and turn to this world because it seems better? Then let me tell you, and we will probably be here for several years, I think, if it divides out the way I think it's going to divide out. Let me tell you how Christ is better. Let me tell you about how Christ is better than all things. We begin by, as we will start next week, he'll say he's better than the angels. And we'll see that. And he'll, we'll, he'll go on and say he's better than the Old Testament sacrifices. He's better than all of it. There is nothing that Christ is not better than. As we begin this book, no, it, yes, it was written by a specific person, whoever he may be. It was written at a specific time for a specific purpose. But it's also meant to be an encouragement to us as well because it tells us God has spoken. He has condescended to us as a people. We who could not know God apart from his speaking and he has spoken to us. He tells us about himself. He reveals to us his son, the one who is greater than all things, the one who has provided for us our salvation. This is the message of the book of Hebrews. This is your primer, your introduction. This is the thing that if we go the full, however long it takes, let's just say two years and we get to the end, that if someone comes up to you and says, what is the book of Hebrew all about? You can just say to them, it's about Christ, that Christ is better than everything. In fact, you'll probably hear me say this a thousand times over the next study of Hebrews. Christ is better than everything. And then maybe they'll look at you and say, well, what does that mean? And you can say, well, let me tell you. It means that Christ is better than this world and all its empty treasures. It means that Christ has come and he has made reconciliation for me. He died for my sins that I might have life. Even though I was a wretched sinner, he restored me into right relationship with God. And so no matter what this world may throw at me, no matter what temptations I may endure, I will not abandon my Savior because he is better. He is better than all of us. Is that your testimony? Is that your hope you have this morning? To know that in the face of this world, into the face of sin, in the face of temptation, that Christ is better. That is our touchstone. That is our home. That is our security. Because even, even as I stand here and I talk about the temptations that we face in a very obscure way, right? Because it's hard. I could try to stand up here and get more specific. But it's hard because we each struggle with those things differently, don't we? But you know. You know the way in which you struggle. 
be reminded of the fact that you have a Savior who is supreme, who is better than all things. And he longs to be in relationship with you, to continually be restoring you. So don't chase after this world. Don't chase after its supposed riches. Don't be tempted to fall away. Know that he is better. Know that he is good. Know that he is God. The one whom, through whom all things were created. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful because it is in your word we see that God has spoken to us. And we're so thankful that you've spoken to us through your son. Would we know the full hope of salvation that is ours? Would we be secure and rest wholly and only in you? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to